Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Brian Clayton, the founder of Green Pal, which is like the Uber for lawn care. So if you're looking at your yard and you're like, oh man, this is a lot of grass that I don't want to mow, you don't have to worry about it. You can just go over to Green Pal, get quotes from multiple different folks, and get that lawn looking nice and groovy. Brian, prior to Green Pal, started another company and sold it. And so he's got Lots of experience in building a company. He's dropping all sorts of good entrepreneurial tips. I love his distinction between founder logic and customer logic. And sometimes you as a creator think you've got a brilliant million dollar idea and then you get customer feedback that maybe uh, maybe it's not so good. But that's an important step even if it's hard to hear rough to, to get that kind of uh, direct feedback into your face. Uh, but it is all worthwhile in the end because it'll help you create a better product or service for your customers. If you'd like to get in touch with Good People Cool Things, you can reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast. You may have heard too that there's both a merch shop and I wrote a book, and both of those help support the show. You can check both of those out at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. There's tabs for shop and book. Very simple, not trying to be too confusing with the way that you find these things. And as always, Feel free to drop on to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Leave a five-star review. Make it magical. Write your favorite corny joke because I end every episode with one and I'm always on the market for more. Send them your way. Do all that good stuff. And cozy up for this conversation with Brian. For people who don't know who you are. Can you give us your name and your elevator pitch? Can you also tell us the type of elevator that we're riding on? Uh, yeah, I like that. Hey, thanks for having me on your show, Joey. Uh, my name is Brian Clayton, CEO and co-founder of a company called Green Pal. And Green Pal is like the Uber, but for lawn mowing. So a homeowner needs to get lawn mowing services rather than calling around on Craigslist or Facebook or Yelp or asking friends or family. They can just download the Green Pal app. They pop their address in, they get two or three quotes in a couple of minutes, and then they hire the uh, lawn care service they want to work for, work with, and they come out and take care of the chore for them. And if everything goes well, then they just set it up for autopilot for the whole year and uh, kind of like set it and forget it. And GreenPow is a 10-year overnight success. So I guess you could say it's like a slow-moving elevator. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we've been at this thing for a decade and uh, bootstrapped it, uh, have not have not raised any outside capital and now we have over 300,000 people using the app doing multiple 10 figures a year in revenue and profitable and 43 people working for the company now so it's been a long grind slow moving elevator but but uh we're, we're doing well still growing fast and and uh having fun that's all of that is important but definitely the having fun part i feel like a big big component that sometimes people overlook on that but <laughs> you, absolutely you mentioned the it's kind of like the Uber for lawn care. Is lawn care something that you've always had a passion for? Like, how did you get into this idea initially? Well, so I think when you're starting a tech company, uh, authenticity can be a competitive advantage. And so you can help to like be solving your own problem. And my first business was a lawn mowing business. I started cutting grass in high school as a way to make extra cash and stuck with this little lawn mowing business I had all through high school and all through college. 
and graduated college, decided, hey, I'm just going to see how far I can take this little lawn mowing business. And I ended up growing like one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee where I live. Uh, ended up getting that business over 150 employees. Uh, it got over 10 million a year in revenue. And then it was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. And so growing that company from like just me and a push mower to me and 150 people, you know, I learned a lot about about business and particularly the, the landscaping industry. And when I sold it, I you know took some time off, got bored and decided, <laughs> well, what am I going to do now? You know, what, what can I do with my life now? And I was, I came to the realization that I really was wired to want to be in the game. I was wired to want to be in business. And so I thought, well, an app should exist for like this industry. I know like, like there's Uber and there's Lyft and there's Airbnb and these other apps that were emerging that were making like these real world experiences as easy as pushing a button. I thought, well, an app should exist for this thing. And it was kind of naivete as an asset. I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and, and I didn't realize how challenging it was going to be to, to pull something like, like this off. But we got in there. My two, I recruited two co-founders and we started working on the first version. And that was a total flop. And, and uh, it took like three or four years to get some good momentum going. But we just stuck it out. And and uh and we kind of you know we were able to start on second base because we kind of knew the industry but what we didn't know was like the technology execution piece of it the, the product development piece of it building a marketplace you're built you have like two customers you have you, you know we have customers on, on, on the consumer side and then we and then vendors are, are kind of customers of ours as well so we have to satisfy the needs of both at the same time didn't know how challenging that was going to be so it was just a lot of trial and error and and success by not giving up has gotten us where we are today. And I definitely want to dive into that a little bit, but let's go back to 2013 when you sold your former company. Was that like what was that moment like? Were you just like dancing around for hours on end? You know, it's it's not it's not it didn't go how I thought it was going to be. Um first off, selling the business was was just really difficult. Uh, that doesn't happen very often in a, in a service-based industry like the landscaping business. It doesn't happen like acquisitions of that scale don't, don't occur very often. So from the moment that I you know, decided I wanted to sell the company to the moment that we were able to get the deal done, it was like two years. And that was really challenging because there was a lot of things, a lot of block and tackling that I didn't have in place uh, that I needed to have if I wanted to sell the company. So I had to kind of reverse engineer a lot of things, grooming it for sale. And then when I got it sold, it was, it didn't feel like I thought it was going to be because I, you know, I 15 years of my life, I never had a job. And so, you know, the only thing I ever knew was running that company. And so now that was gone. So I almost went through like a little mini identity crisis for like six months. And, and then you have to transition and like help the new owners, like take over your baby. And that was, that was a total, total, like, like, difficult process that I didn't anticipate it's kind of like if you uh if 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 you were like in you know if you had your soulmate and then another man moves in the house and like now he's <laughs> now he's the husband you know and then you have to like help like him understand you know how, what your wife likes almost it was weird and so like I did that for like six months and I didn't know how I didn't really anticipate how challenging that was going to be but you know when all the smoke cleared got done then I got bored and I thought then I really understood something about myself that was that was like, okay, you're wired to to conquer new new goals and challenges, and like let's let's get something else going. Now, what I didn't want to do, I didn't 
like I didn't want to start another hard business again. I, I, I was gravitated towards the idea of building GreenPal because it was a software business and I thought it was going to be easy. And little did I know, building GreenPal has been 10 times more challenging <laughs> than, than building my first company ever was. And you, you touched on a couple of those challenges, but is there one that really kind of stands out to you? Like, it, was it more of like the technical side of things because that wasn't where your initial strengths had, had lie? It, it, definitely that, you know, I didn't know how to write software. My co-founders didn't either. And so that was, that was something we had to overcome, but we, we overcame that within about two years. We took every online course we could take. We, you know, my co-founder went to a boot camp to learn how to code. I mean, I, I became like the world's crappiest front end engineer just <laughs> off of YouTube. So we were able to kind of like just through sheer will, like, you know, gut our way through that. What's, what's really challenging and what, what I didn't understand was there's a big difference between starting a traditional business, in my case, a landscaping company, or it could be a construction company, a home cleaning service, a coffee shop, a restaurant, whatever. There's a big difference between running that kind of business, which is really challenging, versus inventing something brand new from scratch that does not exist in the world. And I and I didn't understand the, the how difficult the, the, the ladder was going to be because there is no roadmap. You have to kind of like figure it out as you go. You're trying to build something that people will want to use and you're trying to solve their problems. And and uh, and, and you're just you, you just kind of have to go from like failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. And I didn't understand that that it was going to be that challenging. And so it's the same as whether you're inventing a tech product or, you know, a new physical product. Like when you're inventing something brand new from zero, it's really, really hard versus let's say you want to open up a new uh, bakery in your neighborhood or you want to open up a dry cleaning service or whatever. You know, like those are those are hard businesses. There's a known set of things you can execute against when you're inventing a new particularly tech product. There's no roadmap. And so you just kind of have to forge your way through the darkness. That was hard. I guess this is kind of a combo question. You had talked about how you were on YouTube and like taking all the courses and tools and everything. Do you have one or two that particularly stand out? Because I think learning by YouTube can be a great way to learn something. But there, I, I was just reading about this of uh, learning guitar and how I, you know, someone was saying how they were using YouTube to learn guitar. And they're like, it was like some of these channels are great and they offer some good tips, but then some expect you to have, you know, baseline level of knowledge that maybe you don't have already, or it's like this one video was good, but I'd love a second one that kind of builds on what I just learned. But instead, the next video you get served from that person is, you know, like playing uh, chromatic scales or something instead of right. how to like finger an F chord or so, you know, something like like the, the yep. natural progression type of thing. So was there any sort of resources that stood out to you is kind of the first part of this. And then the second part, you're talking about the the product roadmap and everything, which I think is a very key component of any business, um, but particularly one that is kind of brand new. So what was that process sort of like for you as you ironed out those details? Part of like half the battle with YouTube University and learning things online is waiting through the BS that sucks. And I think, <laughs> I think that holds up a lot of people. It's like they, they get in there and they'll try a couple things and they didn't get value. So therefore they they discount the idea of learning a new skill online when in fact, like half the battle is just wading through all the stuff and then keying in on something that's oriented 
to what what level of the game you're at and that's helpful to you and then and then once you get what that kind of dialed in then not being afraid or resident to like peel off some coin and and buy the premium stuff um it's amazing like how people just will not spend five hundred dollars on a resource that will save them three years and so but then only the, maybe it's because they they got burned and they bought an a course and it was a it was a it was not helpful and so so half the battle is is putting in the time and maybe it might be all day and all day all day saturday all day sunday every week working on yourself trying to learn as much as you can and then doubling down on the on the on the instructors and materials that that resonate with you and then not being afraid to buy the premium stuff and, and so it's half it's half that and then half putting in the time learning and and one thing that kind of i learned you know not you know going from a blue collar entrepreneur very much is hand-to-hand combat and redneck as it gets to becoming a full-scale like tech entrepreneur one of the things that kind of surprised me was to not believe your own BS and to, and to really realize that while you might not have the title of software engineer, you might not have the title of data analyst, or you might not have the title of, of copywriter or whatever, you can learn the 80-20 of all of these skills in a very short period of time online for free. And so don't believe your own BS. You can learn this stuff because you're going to need to anyways, if, if you're going to pull something off from scratch. And to your second question, you know, with respect to like trying to figure out what the hell, what were we, what are we doing? Like, like, how did we develop a product roadmap? How do we know what to do? How did we know what to build? How did we know what to spend our time on? It was, uh, it's very much like startups are a lot like poker and they're less like chess they're you're making bets you're you're trying to figure and you're trying to like ca- calculate the risk on your bets and you're trying to and you're trying to gather feedback in the in the environment to know what the best bets are to make and so for us it, it was like okay we have this crappy product we packed together on how we think it should be we got to get 100 people to use this thing by any means necessary because we need those 100 people to give us the feedback so then we know like where to take it next and as simple as that sounds that's how we went from a hundred to a thousand people to thousand to ten thousand to ten thousand to fifty thousand fifty thousand to a hundred thousand was just incrementally working our way through user growth and then making it really dead simple for people to tell us everything they hated about our product and for the longest time it was my cell phone number on the home page it was my cell phone number on the bottom of every email. I personally handled the live chat. You know, I personally knew the first 500 lawn care services that used our app to, to run their business. And it wasn't, I mean, on the one hand, we kind of had to do it ourselves anyway. But the moreover, the real reason why we did that was because we were never at a loss to understand what like the next three or four things that we needed to work on were. Because people are always giving you that feedback. They're always telling you where you suck. Whereas a lot of founders are resistant to that, to that feedback and they, they make it hard for people to, to reach them. And because the reality is, is it hurts and it's not fun, but, uh, but if you don't have that, like that, 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 that flow of, of feedback loops from your, from your users, then, then, then you then there's, then what happens is there's this gap that develops between founder logic and customer logic. 
And so the founder is looking at the problems and solutions from the founder's point of view and the customers are looking at it from their point of view. And there's this gap and that's, that can get you in trouble and that can, that can waste years of your life building something that nobody wants. Was there something that you got? I, th- I think that's such a, a brilliant point of the gaps between uh, founder logic and customer logic because, yeah, there's so many times where you know I've had an idea where I'm like, oh, this could be a good idea, and I run it by some people, and they're like, no, like that's stupid. That's not gonna solve a problem or any or you know like maybe tweak this area and like you might have something uh, sort of thing there. And I think there's times where I've kind of been like, oh yeah, that's a, like how did I not see that? That's a good point, and I. Love when customers make it or when companies make it easy, even just to contact them. Like there's some where it's like, hey, I want to give you praise and it's difficult to do. Right. And so I love that you make it very easy for people. But was there any feedback you got that like really sort of took you by surprise and you're like, ah, why didn't I ever think of that? Yeah. You know, it's always it's always like block and tackling and you're triaging around the top two or three things. It's like you have this fire hose of feedback and then you try to triage around the top two or three things. One of the key things we learned early on that we never would have understood was the problem we were solving for people. So when I first had the idea for GreenPal, I was looking at it from a contractor's perspective because I spent 15 years as a contractor. And I believed, I thought that we could drive the cost of these services down because we could open up a competitive bidding environment for the services so when a homeowner signs up for basic yard maintenance they get like four to five quotes back really quickly and it was my belief my my hypothesis and assumption that they because of the competitive nature would be able to get the most cost effective uh lawn mowing service and therefore that would be the value proposition and that would be the thing that would like put the wind at our back And what I didn't understand was, because I was looking at it from a contractor's perspective, that that wasn't the problem we were solving. The problem we were solving was reliability and speed. Because there's this weird phenomenon with with the landscaping services in general. is like they they come and go. They flake. They disappear. They they do good for a week, and then they drop off the face of the earth. Um, Or they do good for a week, and then they start doing a half-assed job, whatever. And really people didn't really care if they were spending $35 versus 30 bucks versus 25 bucks. They just wanted somebody to show up on Thursday when they hired them for Thursday. And then they wanted them to actually show up the following Thursday and just to do it and, and get, get the, the chore off their plate. And as you know, through the course of talking with people who weren't pissed off that they weren't getting the cheapest solution, they were pissed off because, their guy they hired outside of GreenPal didn't show up. And now the guy they hired in GreenPal showed up a day late or didn't return their phone call. That was the problem we were solving. And so architecting the workflows of the, of the marketplace and the product in such a way to ensure speed and reliability and price as a secondary factor was a key thing we learned very early that we wouldn't have learned if we hadn't have just taken it slow, listened to everybody's feedback and adapt accordingly. That hit very close to home as uh, someone who has had some of those those experiences of, uh, yeah, like one week, phenomenal, next yeah. week, two days late, and bad. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, mm. that's the problem we're solving. And, and, you know, the other thing that was surprising was everything that sucks about hiring a lawn care service and everything that sucks about running a lawn care, lawn care service is now our problem. Like, like it's not like 
those problems just go away. No, those problems, the burden gets shifted to us, Green Pal, and we have to build technology to make those things run smoother, make those things run easier and add value in that way. It's like a lot of people sit here and think, oh, there should be an Uber for home cleaning and there should be an Uber for valet parking and there should be like a, an Uber for uh, restaurant uh, reservations. And like all the things that suck about those, the, dynamic, the dynamics of those businesses don't go away just because you build an app. Like those are now your problems. <laughs> and, and, so, and so that was a key thing we learned early on is like, wow, the lawn care business is hard. I knew that. But now all those problems are ours and we have to solve them with technology. Ever feel like you could use a little more knowledge in your life? Well, check out my podcast, Word of the Day with Comedians. Each and every weekday, me and a comedian get together. We pick a word and try to come up with the most absurd, funniest sentence we can using that word in context. I guarantee you it's the funniest way to expand your vocabulary. Check it out everywhere podcasts are potted and on YouTube. And now back to good people, cool things. And have you found, uh, because your, your prior company, from what I have seen and, and what we've talked about, uh, was just in Tennessee. Is that correct? That's correct. It was, it, was re- it was like outside of Nashville, Tennessee and all of what they call middle Tennessee we served, but, but we did, we were not multi-locational, you know, now green pal is, is in every major city in the United States, uh, all 50 States, but it, it, was, it didn't start out that way. We were in Nashville, Tennessee for like three years, only Nashville, just trying to figure out how to build the product, how to solve the problems that, that are inherent to this service and how to, you know, quite frankly, how to make sure the lawn care service shows up on Thursday because he wants to show up on Thursday. It, it wasn't like this top-down, heavy-handed thing. It, it, it was building the product and incentivizing contractors to do what customers needed them to do in a natural way that took us a long time to figure out. Was that something, was, was going nationally something that you had always wanted to do, but to your point, wanted to figure things out first before that happened? Or was it once you figured those things out, you're like, wait a minute, we could expand this? No, it was the, definitely the former. In fact, it was very, 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 very humbling uh, the first few years. Like, it took a lot longer than I expected to, to go national with it. And that was one of the hardest things about it because, because like, I was running, you know, one of the biggest landscaping uh, companies in the, in the state and doing well, you know, really good profitable business. And then and it started all over again. And like begging, begging dozens of people to use my, my crappy little app to order their $20 lawn mowing. Like it was very humbling. And, and I really expected us to be able to, to go faster, quicker, but I knew there was no need to, to expand it outside of our own backyard until we could like make 99% of people happy with that. And in the early days, it was, it was less than 50, 50. Most of the time when somebody hired somebody to, to come out and do the, do this service, it didn't go well. And so we had to figure out, okay, well, what, why is it, why are these things not going well? Like we had to look at the problems on a case by case basis. And at the time we were reading a book called the lean startup and then lean startup, they, Eric Reese, the author talks about this methodology of Toyota lean manufacturing. 
And one thing that Toyota does is when something goes wrong, they ask why five times. And so you ask why five times, you can get to the root cause of, of, of the problem and then solve it there. And so for us, it was like going through that cycle thousands and thousands of times. Okay, so why is this homeowner pissed off? Well, because they had a, a party on Friday afternoon and they ordered a lawn mowing service on Thursday and the guy didn't show up and now their grass looks terrible for the party. Okay, well, why did the guy show up? Well, because the guy quoted it and he got hired, but he didn't know he didn't know that he was supposed to do it on, on Friday. Well, why did he know he was supposed to do it on Friday? Well, because we emailed him, but as it turns out, God love him, he doesn't use email. Okay, well, now we need to send him a text message. Well, we did send him a text message, but he uses this crappy, like, voice over IP, cheap, off-like brand carrier, and it doesn't let our system communicate with his phone. Okay, well, why didn't we know that? Well, as it turns out, there's this callback function with, with our API that should have told us that we were unsuccessfully able to communicate with him. And so now we have to implement like a, like a check whenever that happens. And somebody needs to physically call him whenever we don't have like assurance that that got to him. So like, that's one of like 10,000 things that can go wrong. And it's just an example of asking why five times is solving it at the root cause. I've lived in several different places. So I grew up in Chicago. Then went to school in Miami, lived in LA, now live in Austin. A little bit of a different climate, you know, in those those different places. Yeah. You'll have in Chicago several months of snow. Down here in Austin, we had our snow apocalypse last year. Uh, snowmageddon, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> whatever snow pun you want to use. Uh, <laughs> where it was, you know, legitimate. Like I was like, oh, this is like almost the Chicago snow. Like it's like four or five inches. I, uh, you know, a lot of ice, but obviously like electricity could not handle it. The grids were all shut down. Like people were losing power, losing water. Uh, but then later that week it was in the eighties and I Crazy. like, that's just phenomenal, you know, like very brutal on, on any kind of, uh, really kind of any, you know, infrastructure, lawn care, all of that. Have you found in certain states that like there's a higher demand for your services or, and, and you offer snow removal as well for the states where, that is uh, necessary. And was that something that you found, you know, you were getting feedback on that, like, hey, this would be nice too. And you added that in, or how did all of those sort of elements come together to make sure that each state and area is getting what they need? Yeah. To your point, every one of these cities, metro areas has to be built from the ground up and tailored to how business is conducted there, because you don't really want to like go against people's natural understanding of of how the service is performed and how they're accustomed to doing it for instance in some parts of the country it's called grass cutting in other parts of the country it's called lawn mowing in other parts of the country it's called lawn care in other parts of the country it's called yard maintenance and so you have to not only communicate using the words that people use in different parts of the country but also you have to orient it in such a way that they're accustomed to to buying it so in some places they want to pay by the individual service and they love that about it in some places they want to pay like florida they want to pay one flat monthly price every month year round and so we have to like we've had to stumble our way to understanding and through talking with users that this is how it has we have to adapt the offering on a city by city basis and so that that makes it you know and challenging on another dimension is because you have to like customize the offering on a city by city basis, not drastically, but, but you do have to adapt to what they're accustomed to doing. And then like the Northern markets just flatline 
uh, from October to April. And, and, but, and so it's like, we don't, we don't, we can't sell lawn mowing services in those markets during the, those times of the month, the times of the year, but, but we decided to offer snow removal as a way to just stay relevant to our user base throughout that time of the year, because it's hard. You have to reactivate your client base uh, every single year in this business. Uh, but if you're able to kind of like stay in their lives during, during those, those dead months by offering snow removal, well, then it's a lot easier to, to say, hey, remember me in May uh, to reactivate them. So that was one reason to do it. Another reason that we did it was because PR is a big channel for us. We, we are always in the news. Uh, we, were, we were on television at, at a local level, like something like 150 times last year. And, and offering snow removal services feeds into that strategy of being relevant, being newsworthy, Big storm coming in Chicago. Here's a new app that you can consider, GreenPal. It's in the app store. You can download it today. It's free. You'll get five quotes for snow removal services, and you can push a button and hire a snow removal service. Like That story runs all the time in different markets in the United States it's because we built the snow removal. Now, quite frankly, we don't make a whole lot of money on snow removal uh, because it's not consistent. It's not recurring. It's kind of one-off, but it was something that we did from a strategic standpoint to stay relevant stay in people's lives and stay with them throughout the year. Now we've touched on all kinds of, of tips. There's like, this is like a mini YouTube course as well, but an audio only version. So I guess YouTube's probably the bad example for it, but um, <laughs> that kind of, you know, it, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So you might repeat this for this question, or maybe you have another tip, but for an entrepreneur, that's kind of just discovering what they want to do and, you know, maybe have an idea um, but you know, haven't haven't taken sort of those initial steps to try and turn it into a business or anything like that. What's your one piece of advice that you give them? It's uh, it's 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 closing like the space between you and getting something in the hands of an actual customer. It used to be like five, ten years ago. These these weekend like these weekend hackathons were really like popular where people would come together and like two or three people would come together and they would hack together a product and they would try to get people to use it in, in something like 48 or 72 hours. I did one of those a couple of times and man, you learn so much more about whether an idea is good or not and how to get a product off the ground in those two or three days than you will in two or three years of reading books and going to you know, business school or something like that. So and the, and the mistake I see a lot of entrepreneurs make, founders, and, and I myself have made this mistake, it's like focusing on things that don't matter and spending very little time on validating if the idea is any good or not. So, for example, we made this mistake when we were starting GreenPal. We, uh, <laughs> we, we, had, we, we, we had no customers. We were about to launch the website, but we spent like a week trying to design or maybe even more trying to, to design our brand's mascot. And we designed this guy named Gary. He had a strong jawline and a good looking uniform. Hell, you can see him on the, on the homepage today. Uh, and we wanted this brand mascot to embody uh, the hardworking lawn care services that use our platform. Cause we felt like, you know, that would, that would add like a, a storyline to the, to the user's journey and would give the product a soul. And we spent like a month designing Gary 
And uh, what kind of how what color should his hat be? And should he have like tennis shoes or work boots? And should he have a name tag or not? Like as silly as all these things are, like we did that. And and as somebody, I wish somebody had come up to me and slapped me in the face and said, "Bro, you have no customers." <laughs> like you need to get twenty people to use this this turd you've built because you're that's that's the path to 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 the promised land. It's not it's not trying to do something you read in some blog posts you think you're supposed to do it get something in the hands of customers get feedback and then iterate and stop doing anything else other than that and i made the mistake i see founders do it all the time because here's the thing working on designing gary and and like illustrating gary is fun sitting at some at some starbucks with some with some person that tried your crappy product and listening to them tell you everywhere you suck and how your product sucks is not fun (laughs) <laughs> and so we're like we're resistant to do the things that aren't fun do the things that aren't fun because usually those are the right things to do fantastic and i'm glad gary's still living on gary still lives and maybe yes. a decade later gary is relevant but gary was not <laughs> relevant at level one of the game <laughs> <laughs> all right brian you're almost off the hook here but we always like to wrap up with a top three and i'm gonna let you choose it's kind of a choose your own adventure here either your top three just general lawn care tips or and this one's maybe a little more selfish for me your top three plants uh, that you have in like a backyard garden or things like that we tried landscaping this past uh, summer slash fall and everything was looking great and then we had our winter freeze here and despite our best efforts to try and protect the plants several of them did not make it so i am uh, i'm always for new ideas and recommendations so whichever route you want to go Ooh, okay so top three lawn care tips um well, one, my, I guess my first tip will be uh, a lot of people have trouble hiring a lawn mowing or landscaping service. Uh, and, and it's because what they don't understand is these guys are busy as hell. And let's say you have like a renovation you need to get done rather than like calling around a bunch of all over like Yelp or Craigslist or, so, or, or stuff like that or Facebook and begging people to come look at it. Take a bunch of pictures, video Google imagery, like try to put your contractor on first or second base to where they can quote you over the phone or over SMS and do basically do what GreenPal does, but, but do it manually. And that can help you get a good contractor quickly. Um, a lot of people just still call and leave a voicemail. Hey, will you come look at my yard and give me a free estimate? Nobody has time to give you a free estimate, people. Like you need to put them on <laughs> second or third base. So that, that would be like a tip. Um, Second tip is when it comes to lawn care, a lot of people want it now. They want it today. Like, let's say you want a great looking, beautiful yard um, and you want it today. And like, let's say we're talking like first week of May. Well, if you wanted a good looking yard in May, you needed to start thinking about it in October of last year. Um, Lawn mowing service is lawn care and and, and landscaping is kind of one of those like reminders of, of how the universe works and how it's all about proactivity and prevention and literally like sowing seeds uh for benefit later on there's no way to get a great looking lawn today you should have done it last fall unless you want to spend a bunch of money and have it transplanted in so that's my second tip third tip uh when it comes to plants plant material um you don't want to innovate on on what kind of plants will will do will do well in your yard like people like I, I was always kind of baffled when I was in the landscaping business. People like wanted palm trees and stuff. And, and the reality is palm trees will die in Tennessee. So 
you can't put palm trees in Tennessee. And so like, don't try to innovate and put things that, that aren't conducive to the climate zone you're in. Um, you can get, you can get, uh, and the problem is people get inspiration by looking online. Like I want this. And like, no, you probably just need to look around like your, your community. So don't, don't innovate on what plant material will work in your yard. That's my third, third tip for landscaping. Fantastic. Got a little nostalgic too for the, uh, the palm trees that were all around the university of Miami campus. Um, but yes, yeah, they, uh, yeah. they would not thrive. <laughs> Another <locations>. Nope. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for hopping on, dropping all these great tips. I I mean, I learned a lot. I hope everyone listening did as well. If people want to learn more about you or maybe, you know, get some quotes, where can they find you? Yeah. You know, life's too short to mow your own yard. So just download Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store. Anybody wants to hit me up personally, just hit me up on Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. Drop me a DM there. I'll hit you back. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. Lots of good stuff. and. I'm excited for this warmer weather. Awesome, Joey. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, we got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. I was actually uh, walking down the street the other day, and I found my neighbor. He was slumped over his mower in his yard, and he was just crying hysterically. But he said he'll be fine. He's just going through a rough patch. <laughs> Get after it today, people. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you're a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 